Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Uh, before we begin, I just want to say if anybody out there is looking for some consulting work in Elixir, Flutter, or Rust, go ahead and reach out to us. Of course, the main sponsor of the show is the uh, consulting company that I run called Plangora. So go to www.plangora, that's P-L-A-N-G-O-R-A.com, and go ahead and contact us if you're interested in some services. Otherwise, back to the main show. We have a extremely special guest, the very talented, the very busy, the guy who seems to be everywhere, uh, Majid Hajian. I'd actually never ask you how to say your name, but I'm guessing I, that pretty close. Is that correct? That was correct. Exactly. Wow. I'm so, uh, so lucky I could you read. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he is a uh, Flutter GDE. And uh, the busiest guy on Twitter, as far as I can see, I think every time I open my Twitter, I just see flooded with messages from you and the same thing with uh, LinkedIn. So I don't think you ever leave your keyboard, except for when you just moved places recently. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I leave my keyboard for sure. <laughs> it's just like you're always typing something. Maybe the phone keyboard is what's the, what you go to after that. Yeah, sure. I mean... I try to get the things out uh, as much as I can. I mean, when I, whenever I have something to share, I quickly just uh, put it out. That's the way I usually do. But many times, like some of my tweets, especially those that are related to the work that I'm doing, like maybe blogs or, you know, YouTube videos and stuff like that, they are scheduled. Like you, you, you see that I am posting maybe five, 10 times in a day, but it's not actually me. Like I, I maybe schedule them uh, in like during weekend and then they will come out uh, slowly, you know, uh, in, in, in the weekdays. That's why it feels like I am super busy, you know, so, but it's not like that usually. I try to key, I mean, uh, manage my time as best as I can. Yeah, I think I think I approached you on LinkedIn a long time ago and asked you for some tips about how to do that because I always feel so overwhelmed with everything going on every day. So maybe maybe you have some good tips for us. Well, I mean, I, I, a few weeks ago, I had actually a Twitter space about deep work. Um, one way that I can keep my, um, you know, things going at the same time I live and I enjoy my life is working very deep. That means, like, let's say I want to write an article. I just dedicate one, two hours, whatever I think, or it may take longer or less. I just dedicate that time to myself with no distraction. Sit, get it down, and then I'm done. You see? So whenever you have like um, a lot of distraction about around you with whatever you are doing, that usually takes longer because, well, you are interrupted. You need to stop, think again. You need to go back, you know? And, and that's why um, it's hard to get things out in shorter time. That's one of the things at least I tried to do in the last maybe five years or six years. And I, I was extremely happy with, the, with this approach. Right now, I'm, I'm getting a lot of things out without sacrificing too much of my personal life. Um, of course, many of the things I'm doing is after my working hour, you know, it's during my weekend. But it's not like I sit two days, 32 hours, let's say, no sleeping, just write an article. It's not like that for sure. Um, 
that's that's one of the things and i encourage everyone to uh, think about it like block your calendar for whatever you want to do get it out get it done if it's not done block another time for it and then get it done and then you know in this way you can you can do a lot i, I guarantee yeah i think that's true the only thing that gets tough is when you have so many things you need to get done and everybody is kind of clamming for it so yeah, yeah. The, the difficult part is when do you how do you know which one to do and when I think one of the best ways I've found to do is there's this movie, what was it? Not movie. There's a book by somebody named Tracy. I want to say Dick Tracy, but that's the, that's the, the movie and the, and the comic strip. Um, but somebody named Tracy, I forgot the, the full name, but they came up with this idea of ABCD tasks, which is interesting. So A is like stuff you have to do. B is like stuff you need to also do, but not so important. C is stuff that you can, you can let go of. And D is stuff you can delegate, which has been super helpful. Exactly. You follow a similar system? Exactly. And that's, that's it. That's a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, question that you ask. What I do, uh, as you said, I'm not following ABC or any any pattern like that. From a very long time ago, I had a to-do list, and I think everyone has an infinite uh, list to do. You know, uh, to-do list. So there is a list of things that you want to do, and you never ever can finish them. So, and and what I try to do, I try to give them weight and also the impact that task will have on me like let's say if i sit and write this article what do i receive in return do i receive like uh, a lot of appreciation only or do i receive money do i receive you know something else and i need to have my purpose my value my goals everything also in place i, I need to know what i want to go right when all of those are clear then you know okay for maybe uh, the next 10 days, I'm going to do this, and this is my plan. So try to prioritize as much as possible. And, and these priority uh, lists always, you know, changing. It's not like, oh, you have a priority list and it will last long. No, it's not like that. Every, every week is changing or every maybe month is changing it, because life is changing. Like every day you have a different challenge. So you cannot have a, a, a constant, uh, you know, list forever, right? That's a dynamic, uh, for sure, variable. And you need to adjust your life based on that and your list based on your life. So another thing that I can tell you is, so a lot of time um, I, I have, well, a list of ideas and to-dos and, well, list is growing every day, right? So many times before I start doing something, I will some. I will try to think about that and try to uh, kind of, especially about the ideas. Like, let's say I have an idea and today I think this idea is perfect. So I try to go and do it right away. And then after a few days, I realize, oh, it was not that perfect. You see, there are a lot of things that I didn't think about it. Before I start doing anything, I try to think about what I'm trying to do and try to uh Try to realize the best uh, uh, things about that and the worst case scenario about that, you know? So try to approach those ideas and tasks in different aspects. Some people think, like, especially my wife usually said, you are thinking too much. But it, that's the way I should prioritize my stuff. If I don't think about, you know, things uh, or my task, then how can I get them done if, if I don't know what to do, right? So that's the way I try to, you know, uh, have these priority lists always up to date and 
try to adjust my task, bring them up, uh, bring them down, you know, and things like that. I think this is a this is kind of a surprise tangent, but I think it's a great a way to get into the main topic of today. I don't want to drift too far off. I do enjoy this kind of topic, but the main topic we're here to talk about is how to organize conferences. And I think without deep, so I want to say deep learning for a second, <laughs> without deep uh, deep work or you know uh, kind of prioritizing things, it'd be very difficult, right? So uh, you just got done with Flutter Vikings, which just totally to suck a lot of time from you, right? But I'm sure the output you got from it was huge. And I think this is not the first time that you've been organizing Fl uh, Flutter Vikings, right? Yeah, you're right. This is not actually the first time I'm organizing conference. Like since last five years, maybe. Um, for the last five years, let's say, I have organized over maybe 10 conference and a lot of meetups. A lot of meetups. I even don't know how many of them. So especially after COVID, like many of the things are online, you know, the conferences and meetups. We did sometimes in a day, two time, uh, two uh, meetups, you know, it, it could happen because that was virtual and it was easy. So here's the things. Um, well, to organize a conference, I, I have to say to one important thing first. When we are talking about organizing an event, talking about organizing a local meetup with a bunch of, uh, you know, um, members, locally, local community meetups, that's of course easier, right? When you scale it up to a conference where you want to have several people, like over 300, 400, 500, I'm talking about in person. And if you want to scale it even up to 700, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, every two, two to 300, you know, in person, it's a different level of conference. Let me also tell you this before I continue on the, you know, organization part. There are, to my opinion, there are two types of conference. Like one are the conferences that uh, usually are organized by professional teams or like uh, a company or, you know, a, a professional, you know, a group of organizers that they are doing this like for a long time. Right. And they are sometimes even making money out of it. Like I mean, this is their business. Right. That level of conference organizing is very different from the one that I'm going to describe right now, which is a community driven conferences. And the ones that I have done so far, they are all community driven conferences, all of them. Right. So the the community-driven conferences, they have way more challenges sometimes uh, compared to commercial ones. And one of the challenges is that like all, we are all, let's say, developers. The first thing that we need to know that we don't know that much about marketing. And it's very hard to, you know, uh, to be a good marketer at the same time, a good developer. So you, you need to, this is a skill, you will learn it eventually. But that's that's the first thing, right? So let's talk about then these community driven events and uh, uh, let's say uh, conferences. Based on my experience, like I've I've organized a conference in Norway called Mobile Era. I've I've been part of a conference called the uh, NG Vikings, or I've been part of. Uh, 
different conferences as both community, uh, sorry, committee members as well as the organizer. And the one that I did myself as an organizer, like dedicated myself to do that was Flutter Vikings. One in 2019, end of 2019, after COVID, like in October, November. And the second edition, uh, sorry, 2020. And the second edition was February 2022, uh, fully online again due to Omicron, you know, uh, concerns in Europe at least. So the initial plan was to be in person, but we had to postpone it uh, to sometime after summer. There is third edition coming in uh, end of August, early September in Oslo, Norway. So if you are watching, so do you have a chance to come to Norway and, you know, uh, also meet the Flutter community in person? That would be a hybrid version. So I'm going to talk about my experience with Flutter Vikings specifically. Yeah, we have some we have some questions actually from the audience. Maybe we can just get a couple of those in here. Yeah, Sorry sure. to kind of cut you off, but I think, I think they're, they're pertinent to the, to the topic at hand. Um, he, uh, one of our, so fan of the show, uh, sorry if I put your name, Kegate Olosoy, uh, asks, uh, can we say that Flutter Vikings is the biggest Flutter conference already? Is there a bigger one? I, I don't think there is a bigger one right now. So the last, uh, well, here's the thing. There was only one in-person conference dedicated to Flutter in 2019, which I was also speaker of Flutter Europe, right? And that had 500 in-person attendees. No virtual, nothing, just in-person. Then we have Flutter Vikings. We have a, a lot of other Flutter conferences, but they are not as big as Flutter Vikings. Flutter Vikings is an international one. We have Flutter Istas, for example, as well. Flutter Ista last year was quite big. Uh, two, 3,000 maybe registered, and a lot of people attended. But as of now, uh, Right now, uh, like in, in early March 2022, I guess I can claim that Flutter Viking is the biggest one based on the statistics. So if, if you look back to the latest edition of Flutter Vikings, we had uh, a, a, around uh, 3,000 registered attendees and around 1,500 attended. It's 50% uh, you know, ratio of attendance, which is fantastic i've done online conferences many years and this is by far the most successful conference that i've done because well the ratio is 50 person 50 percent of people for a free online conference attended so and 1500 i don't think we have any other conference who have done this before so at least an online edition and the next edition of Flutter Vikings in Oslo, uh, end of August, it's going to be 500 in-person attendees. So it's going to be at least as same as the previous edition of Flutter Europe. So I can claim that this is probably the most or the biggest conference as of now. But of course, I respect all of the other conferences. I'm not saying uh, Flutter Vikings probably is the best. No. All the conferences, all organizers are doing the best to bring the best content for Flutter community. So all of them are amazing. Flutter stuff, Flutter. Uh, I think we have Flutter conference in, in Europe. We have uh, a couple of other, you know, smaller conferences and meetups. 
I respect all of them and I appreciate what they do for the community. Uh, actually, a good question, which maybe relates to talking about the numbers, right? Is uh, you did say that marketing is most difficult. So how did you market or how do you, you know, the organized market for, for this conference? Yes. Well, that's a, that's a very good uh, question. So I learned if you want to become successful in the community, you need to involve community members directly. So you need to, you, you should not do anything alone. You should just ask them if they can help you. And many, many community members are already passionate and they are willing to help. They're just sitting and waiting to see if you are approaching them. So this is at least what I learned in the last couple of years. And for Flutter Viking, I tried uh, to do the same. So I try to, first of all, reduce the amount of work that I want to put on different people's shoulder. Like I did many of the uh, organizational part, the logistic part, the time-consuming things, even website, everything that you, you can think of it. And we can talk about it, actually, what, what you need for a conference or a meetup. So I've done many of them myself. So I didn't want to press and push uh, a lot of, you know, effort on different people. And when I asked, there is a little things to help. And then they were eager to help. And when you onboard people, then they will automatically, uh, like, uh, let's say they will uh, uh, promote you. Uh, not you, I mean the conference itself. Because, well, the conference is for them. I, again, I'm telling, Flutter Vikings, I am organizing that. That's correct. I'm doing like the main part of it. That's correct. But that's not for me. Flutter Viking belongs to Flutter community now and forever. That belongs to the whole community. Every single of the member of the community, you own Flutter Vikings. And that was the way I marketed Flutter Vikings. Apart from that, I also realized that if you want to, there is a book called, uh, I think, make it sticky or something like that. I read that book a couple of years ago and there are a couple of good tips over there. If you want, one of those tips is if you want to make something on top of people's head, you need to come up with some unique uh, approaches. One of the unique approaches in Flutter Vikings, I think it was its name, like Vikings, and the costume that I wear. Like I came to the Flutter Viking as host and I had these Viking costumes. And well, it's fun, right? I try to bring some joy and, and fun to, to Flutter Vikings, not only the content. And last thing that I want to tell is that I tried in the last two or even next edition of Flutter Viking to, to do a different way of organizing conferences. So last year, for example, when, when it was, everything was online, I think we are, we've been one of the first, uh, at least Flutter conferences that we ran Two days, three days of conference with a lot of content and fully diverse. Like we had 50 person almost, uh, you know, female speaker and male speaker. And we had like inclusion and diversity all a part of the conference from the beginning, right? Everyone was included. There was nothing that you can say this was exclusive. No, everything was inclusive. And, you know, so I try to, this is the way that Flutter Viking is doing. And this is the way that I learned. I mean, again, we need, you need to run a conference, a meetup 
fully diverse and, and inclusive, then people will gonna love it. Like, you know, never exclude anyone. So, and, and again, this time when I did Flutter Vikings, that was different. So everyone was doing like almost most of the, you know, conferences I attended as a speaker and also as an organizer in the last two, three years of being online. Most of them are like streaming over YouTube or a, a streaming platform only and no, no, other, no other things, maybe a chat or something around that, right? But this time I was looking for different platforms for a month, like to realize wh what can I do to make this conference not only uh, a, a very good uh, conference in terms of content to, to be delivered to the, uh, you know, Flutter community members, but also to be engaging. And you see, if you have been involved in Flutter Viking, you've seen that was a different platform, a lot of different activities, swags, gifts, physical gifts to be shipped uh, to your, you know, houses or homes around the world, virtual spaces that you could go and meet actual people. And these uh, were all the things that I learned again, if you want to have a successful online conference, you need to make it engaging. And this was the way that we did it in Flutter Viking in February. So again, if you think about different approaches, how to make a, your event a bit more sticky and unique, then that will stick to the people's head. And, and, and you know, and also the first impression is very important. I guess you, when you do it for the first time, you need to do it very strong. And then people say, oh, this is, this is different, right? That the impression is very, the first impression, even each uh, version of your conference, the first impression is very important. Like try to do the best of your conference in the beginning. So people are joining and they see, oh, this is fantastic, right? At least this is my experience. And I marketed my conferences in this way as well. Uh, I kind of want to go back when you were talking about reaching out to people. Oh, again, another question from the audience from, uh, again, I'll try over here, Aisha uh, Hamna. Uh, they ask, how do you find a team to organize a conference because not everyone has the potential to do it? Uh, that's a, again, that's a very good question. Um, I think this is mostly come back to your uh, um, network. So I'm talking right now um, as a very active member of Flutter community that many people in the community knows me, right? And that didn't happen overnight. I, I spent four years of building this community or, or like being part of this community actively and passionately and never gave up, right? And that's why um, I'm pretty active and also pretty well known in the community. When you have this type of network and passion, then finding out people, it's not that hard. However, let me tell you this, for online conferences or events, that's usually easier, right? But when, when it comes to in-person conference, that's much harder because, well, people should attend and be present all like maybe two days or a few days or months before. So it's much harder to find organizers. The first thing is you need to find out your, your um, same um, mindset group, like the people that are thinking like you, 
usually you can find them in the different meetups, local meetups or GDGs, you know, at different ways. Well, depends on your uh, country or, or your location, you may find them differently. You may even find them online and then get together. But uh, like-minded people, this is very important. When you have those people around you, then you can reach them out and say, hey, I want to do this. What do you think? And they may agree or disagree. And then, you know, you may find what you want. Another thing that is very important is, I think, apart from the team, it's your personal passion and effort. So in Flutter Vikings latest edition, uh, we've, uh, we had different community members uh, helping us, right? Admins in Flutter community, I really appreciate, like Simon, Scott, and, you know, Sarah, and, you know, and many, other, many other people who I may not uh, remember to name them right now, but they helped during the conference. But most of the thing before the conference I personally did it. I, I asked some people to help and some of them like said, yes, we do. And then I said them what to do. And then they were a little bit delayed, but I never stopped. I mean, I immediately started to finish up a task that was even on somebody else. Because you see, this is community driven. Community driven means as much as you have time. If you have more time, just do it. Don't wait. And you know that there is nothing here to be even... Um, let's say, uh, uh, angry or sad about or, or be like disappointed at someone and say, hey, you said you want to do this, but you didn't do that. That's okay. I mean, this is community driven. Your mindset, clear your mindset and think, okay, we're going to do this. I will go ahead and start this initiation. I will, I, I will do uh, this uh, initiative, sorry. And then I'll, I'll do a bunch of these. I'll prepare, you know, and I'll try to approach different people slowly. Right. And from from uh, my uh, like minded group. So and then you see that when you start this and when people see your passion, when people see your effort, they will be inspired. They will be encouraged. They will approach you and they will come to you and say, hey, can we help? This is exactly what is happening to me right now. I mean, people are coming and say, do you need any help? And whether I need a help or not, I can answer. Right. So this is, I think, one of the things I personally did, and it worked uh, very well. Oh, that's that's amazing that people actually come up to you and ask if you need help. I, I think that is very true, but it also depends on, like you said, your network and how much they really know and, and, and care about you and also just care about the subject in general, right? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think also, like you said, just kind of reach out to people. I think you would be surprised at how... I mean, it depends on the community too, right? There's some communities which are just not welcoming, but Flutter is definitely uh, one of the communities that's really open to help others. I think maybe C++ or Java, I don't know, for some weird reason, I feel like these communities are not as open and helpful, but may maybe I'm wrong. I haven't been in those communities for too much, but um, yeah, for sure. I think the only other community that may be more open, I would say, is probably Rust, just based on my own experience. I'm not too sure why. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing that you could just reach out to anybody. You can reach out to, you know, uh, like Chris Sells. So before he left, I mean, the guy, I'm surprised he would be open to talking to me. I feel like Chris is such a big, big guy out there, but don't forget that everybody, we're all just people, right? And, uh, you know, they're working on Flutter because they love it. 
and any opportunity for them to help, they usually will do it unless they just cannot. So it's another thing too. Like I think that's also a good point. Let's not forget that because you ask somebody for help doesn't mean they're going to help you and try not to hold it against them. They may just be busy or maybe, you know, they have their own reason, right? So I'm sure there's plenty of people that you reached out to and they said, sorry, no. And doesn't matter what the reason is, but usually you don't need to hold it against them. But um, just know that, yeah, you can get rejection, but I think you'll also be surprised. Exactly. That's a very good point. Yes. So I think one of the biggest questions anybody has is this stuff requires money. Yeah. <laughs> what what can I do to to get the money and what kinds of things cost? So let's basically let's go back. What are the biggest expenses of any conference and how can I get fundraising for this? And what can I give to them in return? Yes, that's a very, very good question. Um, again, we have online conference. I'll talk about that first. And then we have in-person conference because completely different way of managing the money and, you know, sponsorship over there. And then in the in-person conference, we have the commercial one and community-driven. I'm not going to talk about commercial one. I'm going to talk about community-driven ones, like the ones that we developers just get together and try to do something cool, right? So for the online edition, usually, well, it does not require you that much money, to be honest. It's just mostly probably your time. So thinking, sitting, and preparing, and, you know, coming up with ideas and making that more engaging and things like that. So, but most of the time, well, you can go live directly from your OBS or maybe Zoom or Meet directly to even YouTube or somewhere and just broadcast. You see, many of them are even free. So it depends on your scale for sure. If you get bigger, like Flutter Vikings, for example, then uh, you need other platforms like maybe StreamYard or you know other platforms that can help you to manage backstage and then live stream to some other channels, right? That requires some money. Again, the free edition is also there. You can use it for free and see if you really need to upgrade. But if you need like the uh, upgraded edition, that's not very expensive. Like for one month, I think of uh, StreamYard, you can pay $40 or $20 or something. I mean, it's, it's not very expensive. So, and many times uh, you, can, you can reach out to community uh, companies, uh, com the, the companies in the community that are very active. They are very happy to, you know, help you with these small monies to be sponsored sometimes. Or even write, reach out to Google. I mean, see if, if you are, for example, a GD, uh, sorry, um, uh, a Flutter meetup organizer. And you want to do a meetup or a little bit like bigger, maybe at a scale, a conference for your country, smaller for your region, you know, not that big, small, then they usually help, you know, for these small monies. You can just find out who is responsible for, for these type of things and reach out, right? So, but for bigger conferences, like... Flutter Vikings in this edition, the cost was quite high. Even though it was online, it was quite high because there were a, a lot of things happening in that platform. The platform itself, the virtual worlds, the, 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 the prizes, 
the cost of shipping, these are like quite a lot of money, right? At, especially at that scale. You want to give out like 500 pieces of swags away at least. Not to everyone, but even if you want to give 100 away, 50 away, shipping is quite costly. <laughs> if not the swag, but shipping is quite costly around the world. This is like international conference, right? So for that, uh, well... That comes back to uh, the, the network that I mentioned. So you slowly need to find out, uh, you realize how big is your network. Like if you, and then try to find out who in your network is a person that you can approach and probably, possibly he or she can help you to connect with other people to kind of get a sponsorship for your event. But that's, as my personal experience, more of a networking and relationship. Like I know Alan and I call Alan and say, Alan, I think you're working in this agency. Probably you can sponsor my event and I can shout out. And, you know, they may say no, definitely, but you should not give up and go to next one and next one and next one. So that's one way I, I, I did. Another way is when you do a couple of times like events for free and you show your passion, you show how capable you are, then in fact, while well, companies come to you, uh, for Flutter Vikings in-person edition and also the online edition, which was supposed to be in-person as well, we had uh, several sponsors, right? Many of them are my friends from the community. They are active members of the community. So I know them. And I just approach and say, we're going to do a big things. Do you like to be part of it? And they said, yeah. Or maybe some of them said no. These are early sponsors. Like the ones that usually help you to start up, right? For example, in my case, Invertase um, or uh, Stream or AdSign. These are the companies that I have a very good relationship with them and they helped me to start up or, or very good venture, for example. When I started up, then I reached out to other companies. I personally found out who in the Flutter community, which company is active, like how active they are. I, I could find them out easily. It's not that hard. If you, are, if you are part of the community, you will probably can recognize them. And then I reached out, I sent an email, I prepared my sponsorship and sent an email and, and, and reached out on Twitter or LinkedIn and said, I want to do this and these people are already a sponsor. Do you want to be part of it, right? I have some estimation of the cost and everything in the community-driven conferences must be transparent, right? So I talk to my sponsors very transparent. They can see everything as they wish. So all numbers, everything is transparent because, well, this is a community driven. I'm not going to make money out of it, right? If I don't lose money. So um, that's, that's the thing. So people will trust you then on numbers and also the trust that they have to you. So this is then your responsibility to make them, uh, let's say it's your responsibility to make yourself trustable. <laughs> So that's, that's uh, the one way of approaching a sponsor. Another way, as I said, sending email and stuff, is like to 
try to make your conference as a brand. Use your opportunity to promote your conference as much as you can on social media and on YouTube. Try to promote very hard. When you are, and also reach out to the list. There are a lot of lists, uh, like CFP list, uh, um, like newsletters. You know, try to approach these uh, people who are organizing newsletters and lists, and you know, mailing lists and things like that, and tell them, can you please at least help us to be on your list? Some of them are fully free. I mean, many of them are even again community driven, and they will just not ask you for anything, not a single penny. So then, so then when you reach out to a huge number of community members, so people will realize slowly that, oh, there is something is happening. So probably we should approach the organizer and, and help them. So it's, it, well, let's say if you approach to thousands of people, maybe one approach you but that's still a good chance better than not approaching those people right so you should be again proactive try to promote your conference try to reach out to these sources of uh, you know developers in different ways wherever you are and also if you are a, a one tip for you like international conferences like the flutter viking for now it's a bit harder uh, in terms of um, like approaching sponsors, because usually you require like uh, more money for the conference. And also it's harder in terms of bureaucracy and paperwork and stuff like that. But if you're doing something locally for a country or for your city only, that's easier. Like try to find out who in your city can be a potential supporter of the events and, uh, you know, the, the community events or developer events. Usually in, 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 in different, you know, cities, you can find those companies and agencies, which they can support you in different ways. If not with money, they can support you with what you need. Like many times with my events, I need just swags and, um, and also... Uh, like when it was in person, I needed just food and drinks, right? They could sponsor that without giving you any money. And it's good for you too. So you can accept that, right? That's one, another way of approaching your local community. Uh, that's definitely some good tips. Yeah, I think network is really huge. Uh, and yeah, definitely reaching out to these lists or even uh, Facebook groups is also huge too. Um, I mean, there's just so many community-driven groups out there that will definitely be more than happy to to reach out for you. Absolutely. But Alan, one, let me tell, talk about the in-person conference because while the world seems to be open or is opening slowly at least and, and seems that we're going to have more and more in-person events and conferences. And you might think like, oh, how can I do my next in-person conference and I need a sponsor? And, and how much will it cost? Well, again, Depends on uh, your the size of your conference or meetup. The, the the cost varies. Let me tell you this: if you are doing a small conference of like hundred people, sometimes you don't even need a venue. You can ask a company in your city or your like uh, somewhere that you you want to do your event. 
well, they have a, like maybe a big auditorium or they have like a big meeting room which can accommodate up to 100 or 50 people. And then you can say, hey, please just sponsor us for this venue. That's it. You see, and many of them are quite happy to do that. You just need to approach them. And But if you're going like more scale, like for example, in terms of Fluttered Vikings, 500 people, it's just a different level of organizing. You need a, a big venue. You need a venue that at least have two, three rooms available because you want to run two, three tracks and people want to go to different rooms. You need to think about catering. You need to think about, and say, it depends on the regulation of the city and, you know, your country. Like you need to also think about sometimes about uh, the, the fire experience Ex, uh, what is it like the fire department be ready around the venue or you need to think about the you know the safety inside the venue or you should not let everyone goes to a one room or another room so that the in-person conference usually requires way more work way more work and, and you need to think about different aspects of that and that requires money a whole a lot of money like just having a venue accepting 500 people, it costs a lot. And it's the, the food for those people depends what you want to do, like a very normal food or a better food or maybe low level. That costs, again, a lot. You will have to provide, like, snacks and, you know, things like that. These are the costs that I can immediately think of it. There is also cost of uh, many conferences they ask, um, Asking a speaker to fly to that city, right? You need to cover uh, the hotel for the, conf uh, the speakers. You need to cover the, uh, uh, the, the fly ticket. You need to cover uh, speaker dinner. You need to cover the gift for a speaker or the swags for uh, in-person, uh, for, for the attendees, right? And I can tell you, like, for 500, you need to at least have 20 people in the venue all the time as crew because well someone needs to be in reception someone needs to be in you know different rooms for technical part checking someone needs to be in you know around the sponsored area someone needs to, you see it's a lot of uh, things that you need to take care but doing a smaller conferences usually doesn't require you to do that like if you have up to 100 people or 150 people maybe even two, three, four, five people, one room, and maybe at just a small venue in a company somewhere in your city, it's even good enough, right? And that requires less money. And you can, you can like ask different company to be sponsored for food and things like that. And you can use, to reduce the cost, you can use um, local speakers. Again, this is very important. When you do a, a, a conference, in your country, you need to find out who is your target attendees. Are you targeting entire world or are you targeting a city in like touring in Italy? If it's just a city or at least a country, then of course you may want some international speakers where they are well known, but think about local speakers as well because, well, they are usually very good. The only thing is that they are not very well known. You need to find them out and, and you know, bring them to the conference as a speaker and people will appreciate that.
and you need to give an opportunity to your local community and that helps you to grow right think about your target attendees as of flutter vikings i'm thinking internationally for sure right that's why i needed to reach out to a lot of speakers around the world or or we opened cfp and you know we had 130 talks applied and we just needed 23 that was very hard to decide to be honest we had a program committee you know but for city level or country levels that's usually easier you can take it easier by the way if you need help for your online uh, conference or organization or some tips and tricks, or you, if you need even to go live and you don't have money for your online platform, I'm happy to help you on that. Just reach me out. I have a platform paid so I can give you an access temporary so you can just go live for free. That's not a problem. Even Flutter community is happy to help on that. So just reach out, uh, find me out. I'm very accessible on, on different places. Just search my name and you can find me and send me a tweet or send me an email or message and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely help you on that. And if you're trying to do an in-person and you need like a consultant uh, next to your conference to make sure everything is you know, in order, again, reach me out. I'm happy to help you. I just found out that you reached out to people for speaking and you didn't reach out to me. I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, I am thinking that, you know, it I always hear these podcasts where they have kind of these in-person kind of podcast things. And I was always thinking it'd be kind of cool to do this at a Flutter, Flutter uh, conference sometime. But uh, yeah, I haven't thought about which one. But yeah, it sounds like if you were to do one, the best way to be would be online, especially with the current situation. But even without, even years ago, I think online is probably easier. Something else also came to mind too about like the cost, right? Because you always hear like, I mean, don't, don't take offense, uh, anybody in the audience is from these places, but I think like uh, India and some countries in Africa, they are in less of a situation, right? The cost of living is much lower and their earning salary is not so high. Or maybe, maybe you're just, you know, typical American citizen, which is you're always underpaid <laughs> for some reason. Uh, you know, maybe it's just you, you can't afford that fee. Sometimes I found out if you just reach out to the company directly and say, this is what I want to do. Like, can you help me out? Like, I've had a time where I was actually just creating some YouTube videos for um, how to deploy something to a VPS. And I reached out to DigitalOcean. I said, hey, I'm going to do this video and I want to use you guys. Uh, would you be able to sponsor me? And they, they gave me 40 bucks of tokens uh, of, of cost. But to be honest, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it cost them nothing. And for the real cost, it cost them maybe pennies, right? It's all that stuff's basically profit. And so what it costs for them in the end, they just said, hey, all we ask for you is just put out this link. And, you know, if people, uh, you know, watch a video, give us a link, we'll, we'll share it. And then also, like, uh, put this uh, referral link there. And, you know, and if they sign up, you'll also get 50 bucks or 100 bucks in tokens, too. So in the end, I mean, that really worked out because obviously I only spent about five bucks and the rest of it I got to keep myself. And, you know, they, they possibly made some customers out of it, right? So, like, don't be afraid to reach out. The worst thing that could happen is they say no. And so if you never reach out to begin with, you're going to get the same answer. But most likely they're going to give you something because they also want your business, right? So businesses know they're smart. And I think a lot of businesses these days, they know that Flutter is something to, to work with and something that people are looking at. And so if you're putting something together, they're... 
they they will at least examine it for before they give you a no. They may give you a no, but they will at least consider it. I think if they're smart. Exactly, exactly. That's very very good point. And I will add one more thing on top of what you said. You may receive a rejection, uh, but just never give up. Send another one, not to that company, another company, and you know move on. I'm pretty sure, or maybe it will reject you at that time, but not. A month later, you know, because the strategy of the company or the people in the company and, you know, things like that may change. So try to also try to keep your relationship with those companies, especially those who helped you before. So that that's going to be a good, uh, again, a startup, uh, uh, you know, things for for your next meetup or next uh, conference. Yeah, um, definitely. But Alan, if I want to um, kind of like give one one takeaway from the whole session of like how to organize a conference, to me the most important, like a community-driven one, meetups or community-driven conference, the most important thing is passion. Like have passion. So when you have passion and when you think what you do is like it's absolutely worth it let's let's put it that way then you slowly find out yourself who you need to reach out who you need to who are the like-minded people how to expand uh, how to expand your network how to create better relationship with companies how to approach what type of email you write like even the wording in in your email uh you will learn it at, right you will learn, learn like if i write this last time it was a bad or maybe not what i was looking for but this time i will try to do it this way see if it works and you'll learn it eventually and and that's that's a good thing so and again if you want to do this and you're still afraid just reach out i mean ask there are many organizers already on com uh, in community like Alan, for example, me and a bunch of others, you can just reach out and say, hey, we want to do this. What's your tip? And we have this problem. Can you help? You know, and or who can help? At least we can try to connect you, right? So just try to ask. So because if you're silent and you want to do everything by yourself, that's going to be hard. <laughs> so asking questions from a right person is it's always helpful. For sure. Yeah, I also want to say something too. Like, uh, so this is not about gloating, but just to give you guys an idea, this podcast gets about 500 downloads per episode, uh, which is, you know, it's probably the top 1% or something like that. Like, you can't compare to Joe Rogan, right? That, get, out, get out of here with that. But, you know, it's, it's rather high. Um, so if anybody out there who is going to be putting on a conference, no matter if it's local or big, I'm more than happy to bring you on to talk about it. And I think that's a great uh, marketing opportunity. A lot of people these days listen to podcasts. And uh, also, we're going to put your video up on YouTube, too. So you also get get there. Just make sure you let us know when it's going to be happening so we can try to make sure to get the video and the podcast out in time because we have a little bit of a backlog at the moment. But in any case, yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I'd have no problem to also reach out to people, right? So because this podcast, I've developed a small relationship with some people in the community that I can probably do my best to connect you guys. And uh, same thing with Jid, right? So you you know people. I, you, you, you got people, right? Yeah. 
for sure i mean i definitely i'm happy to make uh, these connections and you know introduce you to different people and even i help you like myself if i if i can or i have time so just reach out if you have any concern about like your next meetup especially flutter and dart i think we're talking about our community flutter and dart meetups um community so just reach out ask and definitely i mean i've been part of different community as alan said some communities are a little bit like maybe closed and some of them are quite open and welcoming and flutter community by far is one of those communities that i've been part of and they and everyone is very welcoming like everyone like you can you can send a tweet message to team snails like director of the dart and you he probably can answer you or or will answer you uh, i mean there is no guarantee but at least the point here is that because well everyone if they want to send an email to him it's going to be a lot of email right but the point here is that people are very welcoming if you just send out your question or your concern your you know idea then people will approach you people will you know help you uh, in flutter community so definitely do that yeah i've also reached out to i've also, I reached out to eric and tim and yeah i'm surprised that they actually reply but you know that's good it's good that they reply i mean like i said before everybody we're all people right and they care too um and by the way i have gotten rejected by each of them uh, more than once, and I will still someday when I bring up my courage, we'll try again to get them onto the show. So yes. if Majid, if you got the connection, maybe you can help to convince them. <laughs> we can get them from two angles. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, so I think this is a really good show because yeah, it's got there's more to this than just the main topic, right? And I think the one of the main things to get out of the show is that just try. If you have passion, like you said, which is also key, people will feel that, right? Words are something, but even with passion, even if you're just typing it out, people will feel it when they read your words. Absolutely. If they hear you, they can also feel it even better. And if they can see you, they can see it in your eyes, they can feel it, right? Or even through video, you can definitely see this kind of stuff. So the most important part is don't do this just for some you know, reason, you know, fame, whatever. Do it because you really feel that you want to do it. You really love this and you really have the passion for it. Absolutely. And I think once you have the passion and people can see and feel that, then I think a lot of the stuff will start to line up because people will say, wow, this guy, he's really into, um, you know, he's really into this. Uh, I'm really, I really want to help him out, right? It's going to be like that. And I think that's kind of what the, got the ball rolling for you too, right? People just kind of said, oh, this... Majid, I don't know who he is. He he can't stop typing stuff on LinkedIn, but I, I think I should probably help him. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Alan. Like, as I said, for community-driven, for flood, for meetups, these are the things, these are, these are the type of uh, events that you need to have passion. Otherwise, let's say it's a lot of work, you do it, and it, you run, and then you get tired because, well, you know, it's a lot of work, and you don't get anything out of it except appreciation by a community member, right? But if you don't have passion for that, then as I said, you, you feel like, oh, I, I lost my time. I lost, you know, this and that, you know, I have never received anything. But if you have passion, then you just do it because you love it. That's it. And, and, and people will, as I said, and Alan said, people will recognize this feeling, even if you're writing. And 
it's can it can be inspirational like people will get inspired by you because you're doing something that is well they know it's a lot of work but you're doing that passionately and they will reach out and say okay you are inspired us you don't believe me how many of these messages i receive on twitter like people are, re- are sending me messages that, hey this is so inspiring can we help can we do that how can we do that you know this is exactly the feeling that you you need to convey with your work to people's head, right? Once they realize that, they will come back to you. I have to say that you inspired me to think about start uh, scheduling messages on social media now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I have something similar already, but I think that's a good idea. Otherwise, become become too too busy with things i mean alan you what you can do as i said you can just set up a calendar meeting for yourself let's say 30 minutes schedule uh, twitter messages for the next three days just schedule them and then not just i mean sometimes you need to also tweet because well life is going right it's not everything life is about twitter <laughs> sorry is it life is about twitter well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the point here is that uh, you can schedule some of the messages, but not all of them. That's that's the thing. But at least those the ones that you can do, you do it. So it just saves a lot of time later. Yeah, but I think the hardest part for me is trying to find the um, trying to find the um, what's it called, like the topics about you know what I want to say, what I want to spread, right? Because I think the the biggest issue for me is, uh, I mean, this is a small good side tangent, is that um, it's again i don't want to sound like you know gloating that i'm so awesome at you know twitter uh, sorry at uh, flutter right but i want to share things that i think are helpful to people and sometimes i forget that the simplest things at least the things that i think are simple are maybe not so simple for others and so i think that's one of my things that's not imposter syndrome necessarily but there has to be a term for that where it's like the knowledge that you have you feel is so simple but actually it's useful if you share it because some people may not know that I forgot what that. There must be a word for that. Do you know what the word is for that? I don't know, but but definitely uh, what you said is correct. Like, there is always someone better than you and lower than you. So that's that's always the case, and it always will be. So then share what you want. And by the way, um, I said I schedule messages, but that doesn't mean like I don't tweet. So I I do tweet. I do send messages if I think I need to do it right away. And for the messages that I usually schedule is the ones that uh, I schedule to like, let's say, publish something or, you know, there are some news that must be announced later next week. I know it now, you know, things like that. I don't like if I know um, if I want to tweet about, let's say, something about an excitement moment, I just don't (laughs) schedule that. I mean, why should I do that? And I just tweet it right away, uh, you know, because Twitter is about your, you know, what you think, right? So just tweet whatever you want. There is there is no limit over there. Uh, but there are something that you can do, at least uh, the ones that can save up sometime later. Like, let's say you have a video, Alan, you have a YouTube channel, you have a video and you know that you're going to publish it on Tuesday or Thursday or whatever at that time. So then you can schedule another tweet right when you publish that automatically. Then the tweet goes out without you being very engaged or even you forget about it, you know, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I, yeah like I said, I just need to 
to sit, sit down and think about it and draft it all out. It's it's on my on my list, so I need to do better at that. You're inspiring me again to to get back to my 5:30 a.m. wake ups. Recently, I'm back to 7:30, 8 a.m. I used to do 5:30s because I want to get to the gym by 6:30, but out here That's the good. gyms are now closed until April. That's very good. So, yeah, I didn't know I was going to get so much inspiration today. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> But you said something about morning. I, I have to mention that uh, I know that it takes longer than what we expected. But some people are early birds, uh, we call them, right? Like, I, I also like to be like awake very early in the morning. 5, 5.30 is also my type, my, 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 my uh, time in the morning that I, I'm really productive, by the way. So, I mean, the best thing I've ever done in my life uh, in terms of like uh, learning and skills and things like that, even and the, the, the you know, things that I've written or, or created, it's mostly in the morning, like the first two, three hours. I'm very, I don't know why, but I mean, this is my typical uh, personality, right? There are some people that they do better at night. My, I, I, the thing here is that you need to find out which time is the best for you, works best for you. Find that time spot and and book yourself to do the best things that you can do at that time. Like if you, the most productive time of your day is overnight, let's say, just do that. Book yourself for that. Sit right, do something, get it done. If it's in the morning, do it in the morning. Um, because I know that because I live uh, or at least I've seen people uh, in my life that I always advise them like way back a couple of years ago, oh, early morning, wake up four or five. And they said, no, and some people wake up at five, but their brain is still sleeping until 10. So that doesn't work. So, so, so you need to find out which time of the day is the best for you. Another thing that is very important, Alan, is to keep your energy uh, kind of balanced throughout the day. Some people make this mistake, uh, including myself a couple of years ago. You wake up in the five, six or whatever in the morning and you think this is the best time and you heavily make yourself tired until 10 and there is no energy left for an entire day, right? So you need to find out how to keep your energy level balanced until end of the day because... There are lots of things that you need to do during the day. It's not just one thing that you do in the morning and you're done, right? If you learn that, then anytime during the day, if you want to do something, you might be a little bit tired compared to in the morning or whatever, but you still have time, you still, uh, you still have energy to do that thing. So different time of the day should be almost similar in terms of energy level. Try to keep it balanced. Eat well, drink well, you know, and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I think um, without coffee, I wouldn't be able to do that. But still, <laughs> <laughs> coffee is my thing. But actually, uh, to get back to that, the other thing too, uh, you cannot wake up at 5 or 4 a.m. if you're going to bed at 2 or 3 a.m., right? So don't just think because you wake up early that you can get into it. I will recommend that you, if you do do that, do your best to stay awake. Maybe take a 20 minute nap uh don't do more than that and then go to bed at 10 or whatever like a little bit earlier than normal and try to make that your routine so you can't go from being a night owl to being uh what's that i don't know what is the opposite of a night owl early bird right to being an early bird 
in just one night. night. It would, it, yeah, said, right. I think it's going to take at least a week to get into that. Yeah, so night owl to an early bird. So they're both types of birds, but don't forget that they come out different times of the night, different yeah, times sure. of the day, right? So that's also important too. This is was this was very important. Good good point, Alan. So try to find out how many hours a day is usually good for you. Like uh, some people can sleep five six hours, some people can sleep eight to nine hours. There is nothing wrong with that because if you sleep longer, that doesn't mean you cannot do much. I think that's that's the misunderstanding people have. So you need to because if you wake up, let's say if you are a person, you need to sleep eight hours, uh, and you sleep five hours you think you're you have three more hours but you don't because your energy level will drop significantly because you didn't sleep well and then you have three hours more but in fact your productivity is way less than three hours so you you're actually losing uh, even your day so just always having a good uh, good uh, sleep it's it's a it's a key for having these energy level balanced during the day that's that's also very important. Yeah, I think another thing that came to mind too, I kind of lost it, bro. Oh, it's not just about the time of sleep; it's the quality of sleep. Don't don't forget about that part, right? You can be in bed for twelve hours, but be sleepless and then be, yeah, or not sleep deep enough, right? That's huge for me. I think for me, I can get five six hours of deep sleep and I'm good. Uh, I know for you know some other people like. Uh, you know, I always get told only girls from a girl told me this, but whatever. Anyways, they need their beauty sleep. That's what they always say that they need, you know, eight to 12 hours. Yeah. So like you said, figure out how long you need and uh, yeah, try to, to manage your time. I think iPhone has like this great thing where you can say, this is my, my sleeping time and it can kind of start to wind down. It changes the colors of your phone. So you don't have the blue light and also it turns on this sleep mode, which is really great. No notifications are coming in. And uh, you just put it down to the side. They say, read a book. I feel like we're, we're being like self-help people out here right now. Maybe we need to make a new podcast about how to, ha how to have a better life. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you mentioned about this app, uh, different apps on Android and iOS. That's usually for, for making your sleep uh, pattern. So because when your body has this pattern, usually it can... Um, make yourself balance in terms of both energy and you know your you know health and stuff like that so that's why uh, these apps are helping you to create this pattern I, I did that i mean uh i try to go to sleep at some time around some time every night whatever time it is and wake up around the same time i actually do every day even during sunday and, and saturday like even weekends for me it doesn't matter what day of the day is if i sleep and let's say 10, I wake up six, whatever, right? So even if it's Sunday, because this pattern is very important for your body. But there are nights that you are out and you need to sleep more. Those are exceptions. That's fine. But generally in life, having this sleep pattern, it's very important. You don't believe me how much it will help you to be energetic when you wake up. And when you want to go to sleep, you're actually looking forward to sleep. So, and that's, that's a good thing. Your body is waiting for you to go to sleep. And that makes your sleep go very deep, uh, Alan, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, patterns are definitely huge. Um, once you develop a pattern, it's good. So I'm, I'm happily back on my one meal a day pattern. I used, to, I used to be off that pattern because the gym closed. And then, yeah, I've, 
it's much easier to go to the kitchen than it is to go outside. So yeah, sure. that's that's a big one. And now that I'm back on that pattern, I actually find myself with more energy and obviously more time. Right? I don't th- what do I? What should I eat today? Or what, you know, what's for what's for lunch? Or you know, uh, oh man, I got to do the dishes or you know this kind of stuff. Right now, my my life is very simple. Just eat one meal. Just eat very healthy, and uh, yeah, then nothing to worry about. Then busy working all day, so I can. As you call it, deep, deep work for the rest of my day. Except for when somebody comes pounding at my door. Yeah, sure. Maybe a good question for you is, what? how can I stop people from, from pounding on my door when I'm trying to do deep work? I got all my employees over here. They always bug me all the time. How can I stop them from bugging me? That's a very good question. I Like at work, I try to educate my colleagues about my deep working time. So when I, we have different, you know, uh, well, I work in a very big company that we have a lot of spaces that usually I can go and, and sit there and no one like bother me. That's one, one thing. But let's say sometimes you need to sit behind your desk and while people are like going and coming and some people are coming and like do something with you or maybe shout on you or, you know, maybe they want to talk to you. So what I did, um, is that uh, like for example in virtual world when i'm we use slack teams or other things when i deep work i say i'm gonna go working for an hour or two hours or whatever that's my you know sign here as message i'm gonna work very deep so i'll put my computer and my phone on focus time or focus mode and i will not answer anyone if I will come back after an hour. If there is anything that you need to ask or want right now, just ask me right now. So it was initially a couple of years ago when I started was hard, like very hard. And also it really depends on your company, your managers, you know, even regions and culture. This is very hard. I understand. But I'm lucky that I live somewhere that like the company structure is pretty flat. So it's, it's, it's easy to kind of tell people with respect that I'm going to work deep one, one hour. Please do not tell me anything. Just send me an invite. I can book a calendar meeting for you and I'll come to you if you want to, right? And, and people, I mean, your colleague will eventually learn that. That when you say I will deep work, you will deep work. <laughs> That's it. So... And, and here's the thing, when, you, when they see the output, they will believe in you. When you say, oh, well, gonna, I'm going to work deep, and you say that for a month and nothing comes out, then it's going to be a little bit skeptical. Um, does it really, is he working? But when you say, I'm working deep, and you really get things down, and you know they see the progress, they realize that you really are doing something, right? When you say, I'm not going to talk to you, that means you really want to get something down. That comes with the output and also the outcome of your deep work. So I guess this takes a bit time. Also, as, as I said, depends on the culture of the company, the culture of the, even, even the region that you leave, the culture of people and uh, the structure of like the company. Like it's in some companies I've, I've been working, it, it was, I've worked. I used to work. And 
it was hard to tell to manager, sorry, I am not able to answer you, right? It was like an insult, a big insult. But in some company right now, I've been working since a couple of years ago, and I can easily tell to my manager, sorry, I don't have time. Can I get back to you in one hour or sometime later? You see, that's the culture as well. It's hard. You need to find the best spot, you know, where you live, where you work, but it's doable, especially it depends on outcome. It's, it's doable. Can you do this with your mom too? I don't think if you can ever do that to your mom. My mom, not maybe, but for my, uh, <laughs> my wife, I did. So, for example, oh, really? when I want, to, right now I'm recording something for you, with you, right, Alan? I just sent yeah. a message before my meeting and said, hey, I, I'm going to go and write a work tip or, you know, I'm going to be off for one hour or something. And she understands and she knows that, okay, I'm going to work deep. I'm not going to answer. Maybe she enjoys that, you think. She, oh, finally, I have a moment to myself. <laughs> maybe she enjoys it too. <laughs> maybe or maybe not. That's uh, we need to ask here. But, but here's <laughs> the thing. I mean, we can definitely do that. And there are always uh, time slots in my calendar, which is shared with my, my wife. And she exactly knows at this time, I'm going to go and work deep. And I'm not going to answer because it will pop up on her phone as well or her computer as an event. So we have a shared calendar. So this is exactly how I manage to sometimes work without, because like she's the closest one to me, right? Or your girlfriend, your wife, your, you know, those people who you live with them every day. So you need to tell them like, if you work like that, so please do not disrupt me. If you want to disrupt me, tell me in advance or things like that. If you plan it, they slowly understand it. They slowly accept it. But, but also, it's important. You need to have time for them. It's like continuously blocking your calendar for yourself for working deep. That's not going to work. So there is always, there must be a balance here, right? This is also very important. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of, of a book I read. I think it's called Boundaries. It's definitely uh, more Christian-based. But to be honest, it's got a lot of good advice. And I think what you're talking about is boundaries, right? You set a boundary. Hey, when I am in my deep mode, don't don't bug me right and yeah. it's just no and i think it's also good too that you can't you know depends on who the person is you need to deliver the message differently exactly right like your manager right and i think uh another important thing actually i have a i have a different issue out uh, where i am is that when i ask like somebody for help i do send them a message and i'm pretty sure that they read it but they didn't reply back to me after an hour but i'm pretty sure they read it because i could see them and I think the biggest issue is I just wish that they would just say, okay, I'm looking at it. Then at least I can feel at ease. Otherwise, like I, I get a feeling like, are they just ignoring me? What's what's going on? So I think it's good that you reach out to your manager and say, hey, can you do this? And you say, hey, not right now. Uh, in about an hour, I can. At least it's clear, right? Rather than just kind of letting people just wait on the fence for several hours and, and you don't get back to them. So I think that's huge. Yeah, I agree. Not only do you agree, but you put it into practice, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's just the skills that we acquire, right? So we need to learn and we need to also educate at the same time. So if you, if you were to say, um, I think it's good that we can start to kind of wrap up because we've taken quite a bit of your time, that we can kind of say like, what kinds of skills do you think a community, uh, you know, a sorry, not a community, but a, a conference organizer should have, right? It sounds like you should be able to be able to deep work. You should be able to network, um, anything else you think would be really great skills that they should have? Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Again, I'll tell my experience based on community-driven conferences that 
I have been part of it, right? So I guess the most important uh, skill is networking and, you know, and negotiation. So it's like a soft skill, right? And developers usually are not very good at that. Well, at least typically the developers that I've seen uh, in the last couple of years I've been working with. So negotiation and, and networking is, is probably very important, the most important skills. Apart from that, well, it's not a skill, but it's mostly a feeling like, a, uh, as I said, passion. So having a strong passion towards what you are going to do, it's very important. The third one is probably is uh, to kind of manage uh, a what what do we call a chaotic situation or not chaotic. Uh, there, there is a good term for that um, in management, stress management or something like that. So it's it's like uh, it's a high EQ or something like that. I I don't. There is a term for that. I, I'm pretty sure, but I mean the. The disaster management is like always uh, something that you should um, have as a skill and you will learn it eventually. But I mean, it's good to have some of those skills. Why? Because not always everything goes as you planned. <laughs> so and that is literally like every time you plan something and it's something is going bad or, you know, something is uh, happening in between. Isn't there a law that says that the worst thing that can happen will always happen, something like that? If I don't know, but it actually happens, like especially in in uh, events and conferences, like different things happens, right? You always need to be ready for that. You need to have these skills of management of that situation. Let's say suddenly a speaker until last minute of the call, it says, "Okay, I'm not gonna join the call." for any reason, or I'm not going to join the conference, or she gets or he gets sick and cannot join, even though they are in the in-person conference right now, they cannot speak. What do you want to do? Like these type of management, like situation, a chaotic situation, as I said, uh, it's, 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 it's a skill that you need to learn. And, and if you have like something already, you know something, that's good. If you don't, then it's good to at least read about it and, you know, find out what can we do in these situations, ask, you know, things like that. And last thing probably is time management. Because when you start working on an event, time flies. Time, time always flies in life, generally. But sometimes when you are busy with one task, you don't actually recognize how long it takes time. And then, you know, so having these skills of time management, it helps you both to balance your life and work and also have an event very organized and scheduled, like uh, planned as you wish and, you know, very well uh, received by, by, you know, uh, members. So having that also, I guess it's a bit important. So I, I, would, I wouldn't say like deep work only because like some people without doing deep work, they still can do what they want. Uh, but time management definitely is part of it. So, so they can manage their time in a good way that they can organize, you know, an organ, uh, a, a conference. And the rest of the skills are mostly the skills that, well, they come after this, I believe, and you will learn it again. 
So even if you don't have it, you will learn it eventually. By running one event once or asking before running that conference from people who have done that before several times, you will learn it. And that's not going to be a problem. I just want to kind of come back to what I was talking about before. Uh, it's actually called Murphy's Law, which is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. So that's Murphy's Law. So I, maybe we can we can have a follow-up session about, uh, you know, the post-mortem of when things did go wrong, how did you handle those? That, that, that could be quite an interesting topic. Exactly. But, uh, Alan, as an organizer of several meet, uh, conferences and meetups, and like maybe Flutter Vikings, I have to tell you, for this law, I always tell everyone who is working with me closely, I always say we need to have a backup for a backup for a backup. That's my rules. Well, that's my rule for uh, starting a conference. We need to have backup. So if you don't have a backup, then, then in those situations, you get a stress and you don't know what to do. And, you know, so when you have a backup, then you're, you're let me give you an example, a real example. In, in latest Flutter Vikings, I had to do a streaming as well as uh, talking to backstage, as well as managing videos and, you know, some of these things. I had three computers around me. Three of them were connected to different network connections different internet, one 4G, one my Wi-Fi, and one another thing. In case any of them have, this is backup for backup for backup. I, I didn't use those computers, luckily, during those days. But if any of those computers could just go wrong, I could quickly jump into another one. And that's a funny thing. Even though I had this, I still had a backup, like a backup person. Simon or Scott or, you know, Muhammad Saleh or, you know, different people were on the call backing up me. If my internet, all of them suddenly goes wrong, they could immediately jump in and replay what uh, or, or run the conference. This is backup for backup for backup. So these are the skills that you need to learn about it for sure. Yeah, good point. I was actually thinking recently, maybe I need to get another microphone just in case I need another backup. It's been in my, in my head, to be honest. But it's hard to put another microphone somewhere else. I'd maybe maybe on the other side. <laughs> be a little bit trapped. Do you actually have a backup microphone? I actually have two microphones, two cameras, two lights. Ah, so you keep if both coming in. Wrong, I can quickly switch. Yeah, or you just keep them both running so you have another backup in case. There's been a yeah. lot of times I watch podcasts and for some reason the main, the main uh, microphone will break for some reason or it doesn't get recorded properly and... And they have the backup and the backup. But the problem is the backup always sounds horrible. So <laughs> <laughs> invest in a decent backup if you can. Otherwise, get, get the next best. I mean, having something horrible better than nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's, so the, only that's thing. the point. Yeah, true that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think I have any other questions for you. I feel like this show is good enough by itself and we have a lot of content. And uh, yeah, I, I would, I, I'm actually, I think it would be nice to actually really talk about, you know, situations about common things that may go wrong and how you how we can handle those in a follow-up that'd be super interesting uh we do have one question in the audience i think i think it could be good and i think you'd be an excellent person to answer this one so um the question is uh i'm a training junior for flutter development is there any advice you have for them yes 
Um, this is a typical question I receive every week, like at least one similar question, maybe LinkedIn or Twitter, like I am a junior developer, what should I do? I mean, I have maybe three advice for you. The first and the most important one is, well, the only way you can get from junior level to senior level, even me right now, I'm junior in something, senior in something else, right? Everyone is like that. So the only way that you get better at something is to practice, practice, practice. So build something, come up with ideas, spare some of your time, your free time, and, and do something with Flutter or, you know, whatever you're learning. Uh, and set aside some time for that as well. Like you say, every day, first hour in the morning or in, at night or whatever, I just want to learn Flutter. That's it. One new thing or one thing I want to try it out. That's my first tip. So, and the second tip that I can tell you is that go over Flutter documentation. You don't believe me how many Flutter developers we have that they did not check Flutter documentation yet. Even for installation, they Google and they go to other websites and people. Flutter documentation already by itself is great. Just try to read it. And if you read it, then you will at least realize what you don't know that you should know. <laughs> that's, that's a breadth of knowledge we usually say in architecture level, right? We say you're, you're expert in some levels, you're some skills, but you need to have these level of a very wide level of things that you know you don't know. Of course, there is another level that, well, it's a massive, it's an ocean of things that you don't know you don't know. That's fine. But the, the more you know you don't know, it's better because you can work on them. And Flutter documentation is one way of doing that. You learn, you don't know about X. So you set aside some time, practice, learn. That's it. And third is uh, try to be in, in a group of like-minded like people those who are building, those who are trying to learn, those who are educating or, or teaching or sharing, because they will give you advices, they will give you something that, uh, you know, or they at least inspire you. So where they give you energy to wake up or to set aside some time to do something. Um, and that's probably also very important. But I mean, the most part is just practice that there is no other way. So practice in any way that you like. Some people like to watch video, watch video. But one tip for you, if you watch video, read, listen, whatever you do. And if you don't write code in Flutter and see it in action, you will not learn it. So you, will, you know now you, you learn something from a video, but if you don't actually put it into practice, an actual app you will not learn it so try please after learning something with any material that you like at least build something with it try to come up with some idea and build it that's that's at least the way that i i learn stuff and it work works for me pretty well and based on what i see in the ecosystem not ecosystem in in development uh, 
area, like developers in general, this is the way that works very well. I, I think you should agree with me, Alan, or maybe not. I don't know. No, I think that's good. Um, I'm just thinking about myself. Yeah, I mean, so I, I am a little bit of a controversial person in a lot of my opinions and maybe they work for me only or maybe they work for others right because i don't think there's one path that everybody can follow and everybody will be an expert i think you go for whatever works for you for me i'm very much an anti roadmap person if i don't like this idea of saying can somebody please give me a roadmap so i can be a flutter expert i'm sorry i just don't believe in that because i think there's flutters too big that it's impossible to be able to um to follow a single roadmap and be an expert. I think I'm the kind of person that says, okay, you should just learn what you need to learn. And like, okay, I need to build this app and it has this particular feature. Okay, I don't know how to do this feature, but let me learn it, right? Because the thing is, there could be things that you that you learn that you never have to use. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn things just because you, know, you want to learn more, right? Um, like, I know quite a bit about Flutter, but I brought this guy who's quite younger about Flutter than me, who's quite new. But he taught me things that I never even knew about Flutter. I thought it was super interesting. There's a widget that can like make a widget like non-touchable. Like so, we had like the background. You can you can uh, have a carousel, and then I didn't know there was actually a widget that could make that. Uh, it still appears, but like your touch will go through it. I forgot what that's called. I was blown away. I felt like I knew more than him. And then after that, I kind of like I, I was knocked down a couple pegs because it's like, you know, people will learn stuff. But yeah, now sure. I know that widget. But to be honest, before I never had an app I had to build with a carousel with text on top of it in a stack. You learn it when you need to learn it. And I, that's the kind of person I think that is the best way to learn is that you need to build stuff and then you're going to learn stuff. Now it's in my mind because I had a need for it. If I just read about that widget because it's part of a roadmap, I think I'd probably figured about it because I just don't have the need for it. Yeah. And what I wanted to also say is that, yeah, I, I do follow your method where it's like I, I watch, I like videos a lot more. Uh, I do still read. And sometimes when I read or when I watch a video, I see about a new widget. I just pause what I'm doing, pause the video or pause my reading. And I look up as much as I can about that particular topic. Could be a widget, could be a methodology like TDD or BDD in programming. And I just read and learn as much as I can until I can say, okay, I know enough about this that I feel comfortable with people talking about this. And then I go right back to where I was. Yeah. You know, I think that's also a, a big help, at least for me, that yeah. you know, if I find something that people are talking about and I don't know what it is, I learn about it and then I go back to where I was. Because sometimes you need that context to continue learning uh, in that style. I actually had a Twitter space two, three weeks ago about becoming a senior in Flutter Developers and I had over one hour of discussion over there, like how to become a senior. So it's it's very hard to meet, like summarize it in five minutes, right? So you can uh, just go to my Twitter and find out the space and listen to that space because we came up with a lot of tips and tricks. And the one one of the things that you mentioned right now was one of those tips uh, which I gave. Uh, slightly different, like you you said, reading about what you don't know and then continue. I was saying that reading uh, source codes, like read other good codes uh, that you know you can find, that will help you also to find out, uh, you know, how to write better code, right? How to become better. So this is also one of the tips, and along with what you said, uh, that's that's a good tips. 
I think we should wrap it up then, Alan. So it's already one hour and 30 minutes and then time flies again. Are you, are you saying that you don't enjoy your time with me? Now you're starting to hurt my feelings, man. No, I actually absolutely enjoy <laughs> my time with you. The problem oh. is that I have a meeting that passed three minutes right now and I need to join uh -oh. that meeting. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. All right, in that case, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yep, hopefully we can do this again. Thank you very much. And thank you for watching and listening to us.